Waco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. Eco Report is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. And financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to Eco Report. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. Today in our feature, Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talks about Huntington air pollution. That's coming up later in the program, but first your environmental headlines. Morton Solar held a ribbon cutting July 15 after donating two solar energy systems to Community Action Program of Evansville for two homes located near downtown Evansville. Both solar energy systems operate on grid-tied technology, which means they are connected to each home's electrical panel board. The connection allows these types of systems to send any extra power they generate back to the power grid so that it can be used locally by a neighboring building or home. As a result, the load on power lines is reduced in the summer months when air conditioning needs are the greatest. Indiana has net metering, which allows the homeowner to be credited at retail rate. The program will expire soon due to the passage of Senate Bill 309, which puts a cap and deadline on the net metering program. In the meantime, Morton Solar is educating the community as much as possible about the benefits of solar. Three Indiana environmental organizations, the Hoosier Environmental Council, Friends of Lake Monroe, and the Sierra Club Hoosier Chapter, collaborated to demand that the Indiana Department of Natural Resources, or DNR, review its policies after the July 4th racist assault on black Bloomingtonian Vaux Booker at Lake Monroe. Videos show a group of white men attacking Booker, who was visiting the lake with friends to observe a lunar eclipse. DNR officers carried out a preliminary investigation at the scene, but arrested none of the alleged assailants. The three environmental organizations are also asking the DNR to publicly condemn racist acts and guarantee that people of color can enjoy the state's natural areas. Jesse Carbanda, executive director of the Hoosier Environmental Council, said, quote, It's not only about making sure that justice is secured for Booker, but that this does not have a chilling effect on people of color enjoying our state parks, our state forests, and other public lands, end quote. Carbanda suggested the DNR review the racial makeup of DNR employees and conduct focus groups with people of color who could testify about their experiences visiting state public land. Bowden Quinn, director of the Sierra Club's Hoosier chapter, commented, quote, The incident brought home about how hard it is for people of color to just go out in nature and relax. There's always a tension that something might happen, end quote. James Schulmeister is a professor at the University of Canterbury in New Zealand. 
He recently wrote a brief summary of the state of the climate the last time the carbon dioxide level exceeded 400 parts per million. The last time global carbon dioxide levels were consistently at or above 400 parts per million was around 4 million years ago during a geological period known as the Pliocene era between 5.3 million and 2.6 million years ago. The high levels of carbon dioxide were due to volcanic activity. During this period, the polar regions warmed much more than equatorial regions. Modern observations show a similar strong polar amplification. A warning, a 2 degree Fahrenheit increase at the equator has raised temperatures at the poles by 7 to 13 degrees. It is one of the reasons why Arctic sea ice is disappearing at a rapid rate. During the Pliocene, sea level rise from a partial melting of polar regions was substantially above levels today. In part, this was because the climate was warmer for a long time, allowing the ocean temperatures to fully warm and the ocean to expand. At times, the ocean levels were 20 feet above today's levels. In the U.S., we are seeing the effects of rising sea levels. At several places in Florida, streets flood with just a heavy shower. Many of the barrier islands along the East Coast are likely to slip beneath the waves in a few decades. In Washington, D.C., the Jefferson Memorial floods often. Sizable areas of eastern Maryland and New Jersey are vulnerable to flooding. On May 13th, nine states sued the Trump administration over the EPA's decision to temporarily relax various environmental regulations during the coronavirus pandemic. The move has been called an implicit license to pollute, according to The Hill, and allegedly violates numerous federal pollution laws as well as the EPA's duty to protect the environment. The state's complaint challenges a March 26th EPA memo in which the agency put forth a new relaxed policy. Polluters are allowed, at their sole discretion, to stop monitoring and reporting air emissions and water pollution levels during the outbreak. The memo was produced by the EPA's compliance director, Susan Bodine, three days after she received a request from the American Petroleum Institute to halt pollution enforcement, reported the San Francisco Chronicle. In the memo, Bodine announced that the new relaxed policies would be retroactive to March 13th when President Trump declared a state of emergency regarding COVID-19. Due to outbreak-related potential worker shortages and travel and social distancing restrictions, companies could decide for themselves when it would no longer be practical to monitor pollution and report it to federal, state, and local agencies. Bodine said businesses should try to follow reporting and monitoring regulations, but that noncompliance would not be penalized if caused by the coronavirus. She did not indicate how the EPA would learn of any violations or dangerous emissions if reporting wasn't required, the news report added. Donald Trump is bent on shrinking and eliminating national monuments and opening them up to commerce. Recently, Trump signed an illegal proclamation to open the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monument to commercial fishing. Trump has thereby gutted crucial science-based protections in spite of overwhelming public opposition. 
If Trump succeeds, the result will be devastating to endangered whales, sea turtles, puffins, and rare deep-sea coral that live within the monument. Former President Obama designated the monument in 2016 to protect its spectacular marine life. It's the first and only U.S. Marine National Monument in the Atlantic Ocean. With his rollback, Trump is undermining the 1906 Antiquities Act, which gives presidents the power to preserve important areas of land and water. As the Wilderness Society said, quote, no other president has ever undone a national monument to this level of devastation, end quote. Conservation groups have filed lawsuits challenging Trump's unlawful attempts to roll back protection for various national monuments, but he continues abusing his authority despite unresolved legal challenges and firm public opposition. Two grassroots environmental activists, Ann Rolfs and Kate McIntosh, both members of the group Louisiana Bucket Brigade, have been arrested and charged with the felony of terrorizing after they left a box of plastic pellets called nurdles at the front door of the home of a petrochemical industry lobbyist to protest the proposed construction of a Formosa plastics plant in St. James Parish, Louisiana. The activists face 15 years in prison. The community is predominantly black and has been the victim of environmental racism for decades with the operation of many polluting facilities, including other petrochemical plants in the parish. Plastics factories melt down nurdles and manufacture from them disposable polluting plastic objects like plastic bags and utensils. As Liz Butler, Vice President of Organizing and Strategic Alliances at Friends of the Earth stated, quote, it is outrageous and chilling to see people criminalized simply for speaking out and advocating against toxic pollution in their neighborhoods. Louisiana needs to hold Formosa Plastics accountable for poisoning St. James Parish, not punish people who are trying to protect their communities, end quote. The area that St. James Parish is in is part of what is known as Cancer Alley because of the high rate of cancer there that results from all the local polluting facilities. Its residents recently renamed it Death Alley because of the high rate of COVID-19 fatalities there in residents whose health is weakened from the pollution. Thousands of Louisiana residents are urging state officials to reject a key permit for a $9.4 billion petrochemical plant that Formosa Plastics, a Taiwan-based company, wants to build in St. James Parish. Formosa Plastics is already an environmental offender. The company formerly agreed to pay $50 million for dumping nurdles into Texas's Lavaca Bay. It's bad news for TC Energy, the company building the Keystone XL pipeline, but good news for the pipeline's indigenous and environmental opponents. The U.S. Supreme Court has announced a ruling halting construction of the pipeline. On the basis of the Endangered Species Act, the court upheld a lower court order preventing the pipeline from crossing domestic waterways. As the Lakota People's Law Project said of this development, quote, the pipeline's operator is not going to take this lying down. This is not the Keystone XL's death knell, end quote. 
For now, the Supreme Court has simply let stand U.S. District Court Judge Brian Morris's injunction against construction while the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals considers TC Energy's appeal. TC Energy is expected to use every available legal means to try to circumvent a proper environmental review of the project. If Trump is re-elected in November, he will undoubtedly do all he can to resume construction on the pipeline. In contrast, Joe Biden has promised to cancel the pipeline if he wins the presidency. A Missouri State Appeals Court ruled in favor of a controversial wind electricity project, putting the Grain Belt Express transmission line another step closer to construction. The project, which has been tied up in legal and legislative challenges for years, would carry wind-generated power from Kansas to Indiana on an 800-mile-long D.C. transmission line that includes eight northern Missouri counties. The line connects with a grid in Indiana at Sullivan, Indiana. This grid also serves many states east of Indiana, so if the project is ever completed, it would represent an important step in national energy security. The Missouri Court of Appeals Western District said the project should proceed because it will deliver energy to Missouri wholesale customers who will provide that energy to their retail customers. The current generating capacity in Missouri is struggling to meet demand during the hot weather. This $500 million private investment with 1,500 construction jobs would be a plus to the Missouri economy. The decision is the second blow to the landowner's opposition in recent months. In May, a Missouri legislature failed to approve a law that would have prevented the company from using eminent domain to build the high-voltage line. The measure moved out of the House but was locked in the Senate for the second year. In addition to carrying power from Kansas to Indiana, the project will include a converter station that will supply electricity to at least 300,000 Missourians at a projected savings of $13 million per year based on contracts already reached with municipal utilities around the states. With an easement agreement, the landowner retains use and full ownership of the property and will be compensated above fair market value of the land in the easement area, the company said. Landowners will also be compensated $18,000 for each structure built on their land and at their option may take the payment in a lump sum at construction or in annual payments. In its ruling, the court said the project will primarily use a pole design that has a smaller footprint than traditional alternating current transmission lines. The Paycheck Protection Program is part of the CARES Act, and Congress intended it to be a loan program to help small businesses stay afloat during the pandemic and keep their workers on the payroll. However, it appears that large fossil fuel companies have sucked in more than their share of the government loans, leaving clean energy companies behind. An IndyStar analysis showed that several large coal and gas companies in Indiana received large loans, more than $2 million each. Even though jobs in the renewable energy sector outnumber those in the fossil fuel industry three to one, the largest loan a renewable energy company received in Indiana was for $1 million. 
Environmental advocates point out that a large chunk of the loan funds went to an industry that was on the decline before the pandemic and that some of those companies have ties to the Trump administration and troubled environmental records. Over three dozen fossil fuel-related companies in Indiana together have received at least $42 million, but the number could really be as high as $100 million. Only a few Indiana companies involved in renewable energy received loans, and they totaled less than $5 million for all those companies combined. And now for our feature, we will hear Enrique Sands from the Indiana Environmental Reporter talk about Huntington air pollution. Huntington, Indiana. It used to be known as the Lime City due to its limestone quarries and kilns, and now it's the site of a legal battle between the state of Indiana and the EPA. The EPA says a part of the city is violating a 2010 sulfur dioxide standard. Indiana says it's not. And now, three environmental groups are threatening to sue the EPA if it doesn't make the state submit a required plan for cleaning up that air pollution. In 2016, the EPA designated a part of Huntington County as being in non-attainment of the 2010 Primary National Ambient Air Quality Standard for Sulfur Dioxide. That standard sets limits on how much sulfur dioxide can be emitted into the air. The Indiana Department of Environmental Management, or IDEM, had until October 9, 2019 to submit a state implementation plan that would, among other things, tell the EPA about what actions the state would take to ensure that part of Huntington County the part of Huntington Township that is home to Isolitech International meets those air quality requirements. More than eight months later, the EPA has not received that documentation from IDEM and other non-attainment areas in Missouri, Louisiana, Guam, and Puerto Rico. The Center for Biological Diversity, Sierra Club, and the Center for Environmental Health notified the EPA that they would sue unless the agency made an official determination that IDEM and other environmental agencies failed to submit state implementation plans for those areas that didn't meet the sulfur dioxide standard. Making that determination official would let the EPA step in and establish a federal plan to improve air quality under the Clean Air Act. Attorneys for the Center for Biological Diversity said the Trump EPA's failure to ensure clean air in these areas is made worse by the fact that they include many large minority populations at greater risk from COVID-19. They said the Clean Air Act can save lives, but it only works when the EPA does its job. According to the EPA, about 35% of the nearly 23,000 people living within three miles of the Asolitec International Facility live below the poverty level. More than 26% of households in that area make less than $25,000 a year. Those low-income households and others could be exposed to large amounts of sulfur dioxide. At last count, the Asolitec facility reported emitting 352,000 pounds of sulfur dioxide in a single year. Sulfur dioxide emissions come from the burning of fossil fuels by power plants and other industrial facilities, industrial processes like mineral extraction, and heavy equipment like trains and ships that burn fuel with a high sulfur content. Sulfur dioxide is also emitted naturally by natural sources like volcanoes. Exposure to sulfur dioxide emissions harm both human health and the environment. Short-term exposure can make breathing difficult and harm the respiratory systems, putting people with asthma and other breathing problems at risk of aggravating their conditions. Sulfur dioxide emissions also lead to the formation of other sulfur oxides, which can contribute to particulate matter. Researchers have found that long-term exposure to fine particulate matter is associated with an increased risk of COVID-19 death in the U.S. 
The EPA has also said that sulfur dioxide can damage foliage and decrease growth in trees and plants. Along with other sulfur oxides, sulfur dioxide can also contribute to acid rain, which increases the acidity of ecosystems on which plants and animals depend. The gas is one of six common air pollutants known as criteria air pollutants that the EPA is required to regulate through the Clean Air Act's National Ambient Air Quality Standards. The NAC's standards for sulfur dioxide have been updated four times since 1971. In 2016, the EPA identified a part of Huntington County that was home to the U.S. mineral product company's Isolatec International Manufacturing and Distribution Facility as one of Indiana's top sulfur dioxide emitters. The EPA said that although the facility reported emitting less than the threshold 2,000 tons per year of sulfur dioxide in 2014, the agency was concerned about air quality in the area. The agency said emissions reported that year were much lower than the facility had reported in other years, and that the facility has significant potential for causing violations of the sulfur dioxide standard. The agency wrote to Items Office of Air Quality saying, quote, Although this source emits less than 2,000 pounds per year, we have sufficient concerns about air quality in the vicinity of this source to warrant listing the source as subject to the air quality characterization requirements of the sulfur dioxide data requirements rule. IDEM said it strongly objected to the finding and argued that the facility's significantly lower emissions reported in 2014 should be considered its normal production and emissions due to current economic factors. IDEM said because the facility produced less than 2,000 tons of sulfur dioxide emissions a year, it should not be subject to increased air quality monitoring and reporting. Ultimately, the Trump administration's first EPA administrator, Scott Pruitt, informed Governor Eric Holcomb and IDEM that the facility would be added to the state's non-attainment list, to which it was officially added January 2018. The state of Indiana was given until October 9, 2019 to submit a state implementation plan, which would detail how the state will implement, maintain, and enforce the 2010 NACs for sulfur dioxide. The state petitioned the EPA to remove Huntington County from the non-attainment list and has not included data from Huntington in its correspondence with the EPA. The state petitioned the EPA to remove Huntington County from the non-attainment list and has not included data from Huntington in its correspondence with the EPA. In a 2019 assessment submitted to the EPA, IDEM omitted NAC's data from the Huntington facility, citing the pending decision on the petition. It wrote, quote, Indiana has filed a petition for reconsideration and request for agency stay pending reconsideration of the final rule designating Huntington Township, Huntington County as non-attainment. A May draft of the 2020 assessment made public by IDEM contains the same statement and does not contain data from Huntington County. According to an EPA site that tracks the status of state implementation plans, IDEM has not submitted any of the required elements for the Huntington County non-attainment area. The groups threatening to sue the EPA said the agency has allowed states and territories to skirt the law. Missouri's environmental agency has gone five years without submitting a state implementation plan for its Jackson County non-attainment area. The EPA has until late July to address the plan omissions or face a lawsuit. For Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. Support for Eco Report comes from Blooming Foods Market and Deli, Bloomington's locally grown co op grocery since 1976, offering products with a focus on local, 
fair trade, natural, and organic, with support for farmers, producers, agencies, and artisans. Blooming Foods Market and Deli on East 3rd Street near College Mall, West 6th Street near the Courthouse Square, and Shreve Hall on the Ivy Tech campus. Are you looking for a way to make a difference on environmental issues? Here at EcoReport, we are currently looking for reporters and segment producers. Our goal is to report facts on how we're all affected by global climate disruption and the ongoing assaults on our air, land, and water. We also celebrate ecologists, tree huggers, soil builders, and an assortment of champions who actively protect and restore our natural world, particularly those who are active in South Central Indiana. All levels of experience and all ages are welcome, and we provide the training you'll need. WFHB also offers internships. To volunteer for EcoReport, give us a call at 812-323-1200 or email us at earth at wfhb.org. And now for our events calendar. Come to Spring Mill State Park on Friday, July 24th from 11 to 11.30 a.m. and learn what trees are used for. Find out all about their uses on a guided hike around Trail 6 for an easy half-mile hike. Meet at the Grissom Memorial. This hike is limited to 20 people, so reserve your spot by calling 812-849-3524. Beginner kayaking at Painstown State Recreation Area at Monroe Lake will take place on Sunday, July 26th from 10 a.m. to noon. If you love seeing wildlife or just enjoy exploring, kayaking is for you. Learn basic skills with supervised paddling time. Go to jvance at dnr.in.gov to register. A volunteer opportunity is coming up at McCormick's Creek State Park on Wednesday, July 29th from 10 to 11 a.m. Help folks from Sweet Owen Woodlands Network remove invasive species in the park. Meet at the Canyon Inn with gloves and water. Goose Pond Fish and Wildlife Area is hosting a wildflower walk on Saturday, August 1st from 10 a.m. to noon. Meet at the Visitor Center to learn how to identify native wildflowers and their importance to the wildlife at Goose Pond before you head out on your own to explore bring water, and wear appropriate clothing. Registration is required. Go to the INDNR website to register. Friends of Lake Monroe and the IU Limnology Lab are looking for volunteers to collect water samples from stream sites in the Lake Monroe watershed on Friday, September 18th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Direct questions or concerns to Lynette Murphy at flmblitz at indiana.edu. And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar power systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolar.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. 
Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled our events calendar. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report. You've been listening to the Eco Report. A volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB. In Bloomington, Indiana. Available for download and podcast at news.wfhb.org. Eco Report is your independent, ecologically inspired news source. For South Central Indiana. Bringing you news that the earth wants you to hear. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Eco Report staff. The email address is earth at wfhb.org. That's earth at wfhb.org.